kids. Hey, so Lyndon's a pastor from Tiamudu, a church over in Tiamudu, um, who I've known for like ever. And mm. I was thinking, I'm a lot older than Lyndon, as you can tell. So I've known him from when he was quite young. And I was thinking this week, I was like, you're one of those weird people that's been super on fire for Jesus ever since I've known you. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of young people are on fire and then they're not and they are. Do you know what I mean, eh? Are you with me? Oh, don't desert me, bro. But Lyndon's one of those people that ever since I've known him, he's just like the weird one that's like, always Jesus. It's really crazy. So I'm just pumped. So no pressure. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pumped to hear preach, man. Nah, it's, so it's, it's good. So we're excited. So Thank you. cheers, man. I'll get out of the road. Cool. Uh, hey, good morning. It's nice to see you. I can see a couple of familiar faces, which is cool. Um, hey, look, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to come and uh, speak and to be able to uh, open God's word for you. Um, I'm here with my family who have just left, um, which is cool. You'll see my son with his cool ass sunglasses. Uh, they're actually his sisters, and she's very patient with them. Um, so I'm married to Abby, and we've got Cecilia, who's almost five. Uh, she goes to school in January, which is terrifying. Uh, and then uh, Seth is two and a half. Um, so yeah, look, we're, we're, we're really stoked to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. Um, as you probably heard uh, through little bits maybe, um, we are going to look at evangelism this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, can you grab them and uh, open them up to the book of Luke? Uh, we're going to be based in Luke 18, uh, and we're going to just be looking at a couple of verses um, in there. So we're going to be talking about evangelism, and when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about sharing the gospel, right? The news of uh, who Jesus is and what he's done. And what was really cool was that um, as I was sort of prepping this, um, I hadn't uh, known that, that one of the focuses for you guys for the year was this idea of reaching out. So it's pretty amazing how God has worked and put it all together. Hey, When we think about evangelism, I think often we can find ourselves uh, feeling, sometimes we can feel one of two things. Uh, when we hear the word evangelism, maybe for you, fear comes in to your mind, right? This idea of stepping out, talking to someone about what I believe. Maybe they don't really hear, want to hear it. Like, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a relational divide? Uh, is there going to be anger? Or is there going to be like a real softness and openness? There can, there can be a bunch of nerves that come to us when we think about evangelism. Or sometimes I think we can feel guilt. Hey, has anyone felt guilt when, when thinking about like evangelism? And sometimes we can feel both. Because if you've grown up in churches or maybe you've grown up in a Christian home, you know that uh, there is a call for Christians to be doing evangelism, right? It's not just for a, a select few, but the message of Jesus is to be on our lips. It's to, be, uh, it's to guide the way that we live and, and, and function uh, around us. And so sometimes it can be guilty. Going, I know I should do this thing, but I'm really scared to do it and I don't really do it. Um, the reality is, right, is evangelism isn't always easy. Hey. Does anyone here find evangelism easy? There are a few around, which, which is amazing. Uh, evangelism isn't easy. It's often scary or uncomfortable. Um, and we've all said things wrong, right? We've all mucked it up at certain points. And so I was thinking uh, about when, like, what was my worst crack of evangelism? Um, and it was when I was 10 years old. And I, re I remember this. I was in year six in primary school. And I had a friend of mine, and... Uh, I can't remember his name, like for the life of me. I cannot remember his name. But I had this friend, and we were at my house, and we were hanging out in the lounge. Uh, and he was, um, like, he didn't believe in God. He wasn't, like, really angry about it and, like, didn't. But he was just like, I just, I just don't think there's a God. Um, and so for whatever reason, I don't know how, but we started talking about Jesus. We started talking about God. And I remember he said to me, he said, you know what? I'll make you a deal. 
if God like does something right now, reveals himself, like does something to show me that he's real, like I'll believe in him. I'll follow him. I'll do whatever it is that you say I should do. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that makes sense. And so I thought for a second and my 10-year-old brain came up with a fantastic idea. And I have no idea where I said this, but I was like, you know, God could break your leg right now. Like he, I mean, he could, right? Like he made you. Like, like what if right now he broke your leg? Like, would you believe in him? And my mate was like, fine, all right, yeah. If God breaks my leg right now, I'll believe him. I'll do whatever it is you say, right? And I'll believe in him. And so I kid you not, right? We're in the lounge. I'm sitting there. And in my head, I'm just like, Lord, break his leg. Just, just right now, just snap it. And he will, all glory to you, break this leg for your namesake. Terrible example, right? I'm a youth pastor. This is concerning. Um, I look back, right, at these, at these times, and, and, and you will have these situations, maybe not as terrible as that, uh, but there will be moments where you look back and you go, I've tried to talk about Jesus, or there's an opportunity that has been in front of me where I could talk about him, and I didn't really know, and, and you go, look, I mucked it up. And it can put us off. But, you know, evangelism doesn't have to be this massive thing. It doesn't have to be this giant thing before us. Uh, really, evangelism is just the stuff that we should be doing in the everyday stuff of life. It should be lots and lots of small things, right? Uh, so, someone said it's way better to have 100 one-minute conversations than one 100-minute conversations, right? Evangelism is to be the everyday stuff of life. And when we boil it all down, right, like if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a reason why you trust him, hey? There's a reason why you love him. And so that's a great place to start. You don't have to have all the questions, but you can start with, well, here's why I believe it's true. Here's what Jesus means to me. And so what I want us to do uh, this morning is to spend a little bit of time looking at Jesus's approach to evangelism. And we're going to look at the story here. And on face value, it's going to seem like a complete failure. But there's actually so much that we can learn uh, from Jesus here. Uh, our story is uh, the rich ruler uh, in Luke 18. Uh, and, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to read the passage, uh, then I'm going to briefly sort of explain it and unpack so that there's no bits that we're sort of confused of. Then we're going to break down what is Jesus actually doing here in the story, and then how can we take some of those principles for us. Does that sound good? All right, let's read. Uh, Bible's open to Luke 18. We're going to read from verse 18, uh, and we're going to finish at the end of verse 23. A certain ruler asked him, this is Jesus, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So this is a story of uh, the, the, the rich ruler. Now, we're not told what this man's name was, but we see him come to Jesus, and he wants to know uh, the big question, how do I get eternal life? 
How do I uh, come into the kingdom of God? And he starts off really well, right? He uses some uh, respectful titles and, and, and terminology when he talks to Jesus. He calls him good teacher. Uh, how do I get eternal life? And then Jesus asks kind of this weird follow-up question where he says, why do you call me good? Jesus then lists off uh, a bunch of the Ten Commandments, and uh, the man says, hey, I've followed all of these since I was a kid, but Jesus knows his heart, hey? He says, okay, what about the idol in your life? What about your wealth? And Jesus says, give it up, follow me, and then eternal life is yours. And the man doesn't want to, right? He leaves sad because he had great wealth. Now, when we look at this story, Jesus here wasn't uh, talking to the disciples about what to do with our, pos- our possessions. That's not, it's not the point of the story, right? It's not prescriptive that if, uh, that with our, that, like he's saying, if you're wealthy, here's what you should do. Just give it all away and give it to the poor, right? Jesus here is, is revealing this man's heart, that he loved his wealth more than he loved God. And uh, later on in the passage, you can keep reading uh, in your own time, Jesus goes in to talk about the danger and the temptations of wealth. But this is the interaction that I want us to have a look at this morning. And as you read this, you might be thinking, this seems like a really odd story to choose to think about Jesus' interaction, right? I mean, firstly, where does Jesus even share the gospel? And secondly, this man doesn't get saved, right? Like, this should actually be the worst example for us to look at on how to think through evangelism, which I think on face value is true, right? Because Jesus has got like a slam dunk here. Hey, this man comes up to him and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, this never happens, hey? Like we pray for opportunities for evangelism. Never does someone just totally random rock up and be like, oh, hey, Lyndon, uh, how do I get eternal life? Like, it's nuts. And so this is easy pickings for Jesus, right? It should be really straightforward. He should just be able to say, hey, look, trust in me, repent of your sin, and follow me. Slam dunk, right? Boom, sorted. You almost could not stuff it up. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't actually answer the man. And and Jesus actually does this quite often. I don't know if you've noticed, right? People ask him stuff, and he responds with a question. But it's not a normal question, right? Jesus doesn't say, well, why do you want eternal life? Or what's your background with uh, kind of uh, God and, 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 and who do you think I am and all that sort of stuff, right? Jesus picks up on a tiny detail, a, a word in this man's response. It could have just been a slip of the tongue, right? For all we'd know. Jesus goes, why do you call me good? And you just imagine the disciples for a moment, right? I mean, if they were on looking, they would have been like, C minus at best, right? Like straight D. Why are you complicating this? Why would you ask and trip and like like clarify a particular word? This guy is asking the question, right? This never happens. Jesus, why are you complicating things? And I think the reason that we would naturally feel that if, if we were on looking the situation is exactly why we need to dive a little bit deeper to see what Jesus is doing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see uh, three aspects of this conversation. We're going to see three things that Jesus uses uh, in his conversation with this man. And the first is this. Jesus starts by listening. Jesus starts by listening. And he's not just trying to get the gist of what this man is trying to say. Jesus is listening to what he's saying, and he's listening to how he says it. 
He's not kind of planning in his head kind of uh, the next step ahead, right, of what he's going to share, uh, what, he, what he's going to say next. He hasn't just heard the gist of what he's saying and prepared his three-point presentation of the gospel. Jesus listens intently to the man. And he picks up on something, right? This man has called me, Jesus, good teacher. But Jesus knows, right? No one is good except for God. And so that means this man thinks one of two things. Either, uh, either he thinks Jesus is God because he's called him good, or he has a warped view of goodness. And this leads to something else that Jesus uh, has picked up on, that this man said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this this rich ruler here thinks that he can do something to earn and work his way to eternal life. And so Jesus realizes by just listening to exactly what he says and how he says it, that this man doesn't think that Jesus is God. He's actually got a warped view of goodness. He thinks that he can be good enough to get to heaven. And you see, if Jesus hadn't have listened, right, he, he maybe wouldn't have picked up on this. Right? He probably would have been so excited that oh, someone's asking this question. Boom. All right. Another, another disciple and the followers. Right? But Jesus stops and he listens. And this is really, when we look at these three points that Jesus uses in this approach to evangelism, this is the first and the absolute most important. Right? It's the key to the other two that we're going to look at. Because if we think about uh, times where we've shared the, the gospel, right? It can feel daunting and scary and a big thing. And often the thing that we forget to do is to listen to what the other person is actually saying. I don't know about you, but for me, often uh, before they've kind of even, even finished, I've sort of prepared this script in my head to explain how am I going to weave in that like Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And if you place your faith in him, then you'll be saved. But Jesus doesn't say that in the story, hey. Jesus starts by listening. And when we think about our lives, we can learn to do this, right? There's no, like, spiritual gift of listening. So there's some who, like, preach, and there's some who teach, and then there's, there's those who listen, right? I think there's those who are, like, pastorally bent, but we can all grow. Like, there's no excuse. Like, when you got, you know, a husband sitting there, and he's like, well, I don't have the gift of listening, so I don't have to work on that one, right? If we grow in listening, right, it is going to benefit all of your life, right? But it's particularly going to make your evangelism so much more effective, hey? We can learn to do this. This is something that practice grows. And we can start with just uh, just small things, right? Like this morning when we finish church and we go out and have some morning tea, we have some coffee and stuff like that, right? Can, can I encourage you to not be thinking about what you're going to do when you leave church or to be thinking about the conversation, you know, I need to grab that person before they leave. But if you're in a conversation, practice listening, right? Listen intently to what the person is saying. This is something that we can practice, So Jesus starts by listening, and instead of his uh, pre-prepared script, he engages uh, the ruler's mind. He listens to learn what this man believes. What assumptions does this man have? And so Jesus learns uh, learns from listening that this man has a false view of his own goodness. And because he uh, he thinks that he can do something to Uh, inherit eternal life. And so instead of Jesus uh, telling this man that his beliefs are wrong, right, that that they're false, Jesus decides to show the man the weaknesses within his own belief. So cast your eyes down to verse 19. 
Jesus uh, says this, right? He says, why do you call me good? Because as I said before, Jesus knows that only God is good. So am I God, therefore, do you need to rethink through what goodness is? And then in verse 20, right, Jesus says, you know the commandments, shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And so here Jesus lists off uh, some of the, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were God's law, right? They were his standard of how to relate to him and how to relate to each other. And so Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, you need obedience. And so he says, how have you gone with following God's commands? And then in verse 21, right, the man says, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, hands up, who has followed God's law for like a week? Like honestly, some maybe, like faultless, right? As opposed to saying, since I was a boy, I have followed God's law to a T. You see, Jesus here is engaging with this man's fundamental beliefs, right? He's showing the man that only God is good. Therefore, no one can earn or work their way to eternal life. And so rather than telling the man that he's wrong, he wants to engage his beliefs to show how they're actually inconsistent. But the ruler hasn't got it yet. And so Jesus moves on to the next uh, step, and he engages the man's heart. And he engages the man's desires. And I think this is, for me, I think this really changed the way I thought about evangelism, this particular part. It sort of revolutionized, I guess, the way I thought about sharing the gospel. Again, Jesus starts by listening. See in verse 23, when he heard this, right? So he's listening. He hears this man thinks that he's obeyed the law and he's ready to inherit eternal life. So Jesus engages his desires, right? Have a look in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You see, Jesus was really intentional with which commands he gave as examples in that verse before. He chose commands that come in the second section of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you, you might know this, but the Ten Commandments are typically broken up into two sections, right? The first four talk about uh, the way we relate to God, right? You shall not have any idols, right? Uh, honor the Sabbath. Uh, the, the, the last six talk about the way that we relate to one another. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit murder, right? Jesus gave uh, the list of commandments from that second section about others, about how we interact with others. And Jesus here in Matthew 22, he sums up the Ten Commandments in this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's a summary of the first four, right? And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So you get this kind of nugget, one-liner, when thinking through the Ten Commandments. Jesus has already talked to the man about whether he loves uh, his neighbor uh, as himself. And the ruler says, yeah, pass that, tick, since I was a boy. So Jesus goes, okay, well, let's see how you go in the first section. How have you gone at loving me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? And so he says something extremely difficult. He says, give up what you love and follow me. And Jesus says, that's what you need to do. 
If you want eternal life, you need to obey this command 100% to the T. Give up what you love and follow me. And see, what Jesus is doing here is he's actually uh, making a call to faith. See, think about the disciples who are standing around in this, uh, this particular interaction, right? They have given up everything to follow Jesus immediately, right? You go to the early parts of Mark and you see they left job, they left family, they left home to follow Jesus because they saw who he was. They saw that he was more valuable than anything else on this earth. They left everything and they followed him. The disciples, they got it. This ruler, this rich ruler, he would have to trust who Jesus was to do this, hey? In order to give up what he loved most, he would have to see Jesus as most valuable. Jesus is saying, you need to replace your wealth as your greatest love, and you need to put me there. See, Jesus is exposing his heart. Do you see that? He's exposing his deepest uh, desires. He's engaging with what he wants most. And he's sort of broken this man down to show what's at the core. But he doesn't leave him like that. He starts to build him back up. See, this man wants wealth, hey. He wants treasure. And Jesus shows his idolatry. And rather than condemn it and say, you're unworthy of eternal life due to who you are, go away from me, you sinner. Jesus gives the man an alternative. So let me ask you a question. Where, where do we see the gospel, right, in this story? Where does Jesus share the gospel with this man? And it's in one line, and you could miss it, right? In verse 22. When Jesus had heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus is saying, give up your earthly treasures for heavenly treasures. You want to see true wealth? You want to see true treasure and security and beauty? Give up those things that will rust. Like, I don't know if you know this, but everything you own, everything I own is the future contents of garage sales or dumps, right? Like the thing you love most, material-wise, right? You're not taking it with you. Right? I mean, it may go in the coffin with you, maybe if it's a, if it's a precious possession, but that's it, right? Like, it's going to slowly break down as your body does. Jesus is saying, give up these, like, tiny, meaningless things that are just gone, like a breath, for heavenly treasure. He says, follow me. See the wealth of my Father who owns the universe who 24-7 has angels standing around the throne praising him. Like, you want to see power as a ruler? You come see my father. Come see the inheritance that you'll come into as a child of God, eternal peace, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus' spirit living and working through us. And so do you see here how Jesus shares the good news? He shows how the gospel, right, which is the, the, the news of who Jesus is and what he's done, he shows how that news fills this man's deepest desires. He shows how the gospel was actually good news. And then he makes a call to action. He says, follow me. But this man leaves sad, doesn't he? Because he had great wealth. 
You see, he chooses not to follow Jesus. And so when we think about this and we step back for a second, we go, okay, this, this isn't a success story for Jesus converting this man. But just think for a second, right? Imagine if Jesus hadn't have listened and engaged this man's mind and engaged his heart. Imagine if when this man came to him and said, how do I inherit eternal life? Imagine if Jesus had just said, well, I'm going to die for your sins soon, so trust me, repent and follow, right? This man would have repented for sins that he didn't actually believe that he committed, hey? He would have followed Jesus, but never actually made him his first and greatest love. You see, Jesus would have been second to his wealth. I think there's a slide here. No, there's not. That's all right. I'll read it to you, and I'll read it twice so you can hear it, okay? It was better for this man to know what he was rejecting rather than not accept, uh, not understand what he was agreeing to. Okay, I'll say that again. It was better for this man to know what he was rejecting rather than not understand what he was agreeing to. Does that make sense? So Jesus wasn't focused on uh, answering this man the correct way and just getting another convert, right? Another chalk mark on the board. He wanted this man's heart. That's the approach that Jesus has with evangelism, I think we can learn from the story. And we're going to jump in a second to kind of flesh that out and what that might look like for us in our evangelism, right? But before we do that, I cannot in good conscience not continue without saying this, right? If you've seen the rich young ruler this morning and you've actually seen yourself in him, if you're holding on to your money or your family or your career as more valuable than Jesus, Jesus' call here to the rich young ruler is to you as well. You need to come and trust who he is. See the richness and the beauty in the gospel. Not that your life is going to be easy and amazing and healthy and like successful by worldly standards, but see what is on offer in an eternal sense. This morning, we're looking at this passage to, to see what Jesus is doing. That's not the purpose of this passage, hey? Like the point of this passage is to show our idolatry. And so I just want to just pause here to make that plea. That if you see yourself here in this rich young ruler, can I urge you to do business with God? Talk to someone this morning. See the beauty in what's on offer. So Jesus' approach to evangelism, to listen, to engage minds, to engage hearts. We need to imitate the master, hey? Imitate uh, what Jesus is showing about his purpose in evangelism. So when we think about our approach with evangelism, and we think about listening, here's some things I think that can help us. You do not have to have your gospel pre-prepared uh, presentation ready that no matter what the person says, you've got to sneak it in, right? You don't have to have all the answers. Listen. Don't assume what the other person is believing just off a few things that they've said. Actually listen to what they are saying. Listen in order to learn. Because people can tell when someone is genuinely actually interested in them as opposed to just having like, you know, like their mouth's moving but nothing else is really going on, right? People can tell genuineness. And then listen to learn to actually engage with what you've learned. 
because a pre-prepared package is not going to work in every context of conversation. Does that make sense? And I know that it can be uh, scary, right? That we don't kind of know what we might say next, but that's where we need to depend on the Holy Spirit, hey? Because he is the one who is working through us. He's the one who can change hearts. There is no amount of fancy words or correct theology that you can say that can take someone from death to life. You get to be used by him as a tool. And man, what a privilege, hey? And so we need to rely on him as he works through us. And, and I honestly think that as we genuinely show interest in trying to have a conversation, that's going to go uh, miles for us. Uh, secondly, to engage the mind. Ask questions that help flesh out the assumptions and the beliefs of the person that we're talking to. Ask them why they believe what they believe, rather than just assuming it, right? It's okay to kind of maybe put them in the hot seat for a second and be like, why, why do you reckon that? That's okay. Help them to reflect and think about what they've said and what they believe. This is always better than just giving a correct answer, hey? Lastly, engage, uh, engage the heart. In order to engage some, someone's desires with the gospel, we need to firstly and foremost believe ourselves that the gospel is actually good news. We need to believe that the gospel is actually a better story for what life is about and why we are here. We shouldn't feel the need to apologize for the gospel, right, and God's uh, design. We don't need to be ashamed and embarrassed if we actually think this is just the best news in the world. Like if I had the cure for cancer, you could not convince me that it was bad news, it wouldn't matter how embarrassed or ashamed I was to stand up in front of people. You have to see this, right? If I've got the cure for cancer, you have to see this, the amount of lives that it could change. We need to know the gospel. We need to believe ourselves that it actually provides true and lasting joy. And then as we've listened, right, and we learn that, uh, the person's uh, deep desires, we can show how the gospel meets that desire. We can use gospel metaphors. And, and, and the gospels, like if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right, Jesus is amazing at showing us different ways that you can talk about the gospel, hey? Like he uses uh, pearls and water and harvests and treasure as different ways to talk about the kingdom of God and the gospel. And so we can use creativity in the way that we actually talk about that. We can talk about things like redemption. We don't have to use these words, right? But there's so many aspects to the gospel, redemption and justification and adoption, the idea that we're a new creation, that we're united with Jesus. Meeting the person's felt need. Have a look at this quote. Uh, Jonathan Dodson wrote an a, a, um, article that was really helpful as I was thinking through this and, and, and put a lot of structure to it. To the guilt-ridden, Jesus brings guilt-absorbing redemption. To the rejected, perfect, justifying acceptance in Christ. To the abandoned, the adopting love of a perfect father. To the hopeless and worn out new creation. And to those longing for intimacy, union with Jesus. I love that quote, hey. For our rich ruler here in this passage, right, he desired treasures on earth. And so Jesus provides and puts before him treasures in heaven, right, and an inheritance. This will always stop evangelism from being boring. This will always stop evangelism from being boring. This is how we bring the gospel, I think, into the everyday stuff of life. We can talk about how incredible it is as we talk about this. Um, 
And just like listening, this is something that we can practice. Uh, there were two ladies uh, at our church that uh, for a while they would uh, meet up fortnightly for like an hour top, sometimes like half an hour maybe. And they would just practice this. They'd have a coffee and they'd sit down and they'd go, right, you choose like a, a, a deep a, a need, a felt desire, like choose a particular place, right? And I'll practice talking and, and trying to show how the gospel meets that deep desire. And so they'd do that and they'd sort of fumble and laugh and like get a little bit embarrassed, but they trusted each other. And then they'd switch. And then, and then the other lady would choose a desire or a, or a struggle or something, you know, and then, and then show how the gospel answers that. And, and I love that. It was this beautiful example of uh, a, a passion and a desire to, to practice in this and to know and see the beauty of the gospel. Hey. And so if we boil it all down, I think what we see as we sort of bring this uh, together is that Jesus' purpose uh, is, oh, there it is. I put it in the wrong order. Man, okay. This is, I think, what we see as we boil it all down. Jesus' attitude towards evangelism is that he's more focused on gaining hearts than he is on gaining converts. Jesus was not focused on numbers. He said things that drove people away. Like, you read the gospel, right? Like, there's this little period where Jesus populates, like, woo, and it's all amazing. And then he just starts saying stuff, Right? And it cuts people to the heart. Jesus divided families, right? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus caused people to hate him and kill him because of the words that came out of his mouth. Jesus was not focused about getting the largest gathering that he could and like just whatever, just sneak him in the door any way he could, right? Jesus was about hearts. He wanted true repentance. He wanted true faith. And so if we think that every gospel conversation is a failure because the person we're talking to doesn't get saved, or if we think that every gospel conversation is a failure uh, if we don't actually get to get everything out that we've uh, prepared, then Jesus was the biggest failure of them all. Hey, Jesus had real conversations with people with a desire to bring out that person's belief and their deep desires. And he did this so that they would follow him and so that they would see the beauty of the gospel. He wanted their hearts. I've got it written here again, but I mean, we may as well go to it, right? I don't know why I have. It's better for someone to know what they're rejecting than to not understand what they are accepting. And so... If this is what Jesus is putting forward, and if you're convinced by this, right, that hearts are more important than numbers, then here's what this means, and this is where the rubber hits the road, because it's all fine to sit here in a congregation and to listen to someone talk about evangelism and go, okay, cool, cool, cool. But here's what this means, I think, for you this morning. You are the best person to have gospel conversations with the people in your life. You are the most effective person to have gospel conversations with, your pe- with the people in your life. You're in a better position. You've got the relational capital already there. You're a more effective person to have a conversation with your friend than Craig or one of the elders. And so what it means for Agora to be on mission as a church doesn't mean that you bring 
all your non-Christian friends to this building because they're going to get saved because there's something like amazingly spiritual about this building. It doesn't mean that you bring all your non-Christian friends through the door to hear uh, the fancy preacher or, or the elder or whatever that has, has got you know, communication skills as if they are more capable of saving that person than God is. God has placed you in a context in your home, in your community, within your job, to have relationships with people, to show through your life how amazing Jesus is, to have the opportunity then to open your mouth to share the incredible news of the gospel. And they are going to care way more about what you have to say than what I have to say. You know that, right? Because imagine if you were in their shoes and they were like, oh, hey, I want you to come like hear about this new, like, not a cult, not a cult thing that you should come and hear about and there's this dude speaking, Right? as opposed to that friend actually sitting down and being like, hey, look, this thing turned my life upside down. And it's just the, 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 the peace and the freedom, the weight of guilt and shame gone is just amazing. And look, you do what you want. Like, I'm not going to twist your arm. But like, if we have some sort of relationship, would you just give me a little bit of time to just share what this means to me? That is going to go way further then like, hey, come have a, a listen to this guy, Lyndon Frost, who's going to speak from a stage. Do you get that? Jesus puts forward that, I think, that the gospel and sharing the gospel is about the everyday stuff of life, which means we'll stuff it up, but that's okay because they're still your friend and they love you and you're going to have another crack, right? So if evangelism for you feels like this unclimbable mountain before you, can I just encourage you this morning, just start with small steps. And if there's one place to start, I would say this. Do you actually believe the gospel is good news? And if you do, why? That's going to set you up. And God is going to use that incredibly, hey? Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. And that we can take uh, stories like this and we can look at it from different angles to see so many different things we can learn about your son Jesus, who uh, is just amazing. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be part of your plans and purposes, that we get to be used by you to see your kingdom grow. And even in our failures and our weakness, you love to use us, and that is just incredible. Father, would you help us this morning to... Um, to have just grasped um, just the, the beauty and the magnitude of the gospel. That it's not just one sort of color and shape, but there's so many aspects to it that we can bring out. Father, would you just uh, bring, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would he just bring a confidence and a passion and a love and a desire for the news of who Jesus is, that as, uh, that as uh, this local congregation here goes out uh, to live amongst uh, people in their community, that their lives would be a testimony to the change that you have brought about, that their words would show uh, just the riches of, of what's on offer in the gospel. And I pray that you would just use that powerfully, that there would be boldness, that there would be courage. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't see the gospel as good news, that doesn't see its beauty, Father, would you use any means necessary for them to get a glimpse of who you are, to get a glimpse of how unworthy we are to be before you and what's been on offer in Jesus. We just praise you and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.